Okay. Well, again, we're uh, excited that you're here. We're actually beginning a brand new series this morning, and it's actually one of those series that, that I've wanted to do for a really, really long time, but didn't feel like it was right, didn't feel like God was, was kind of saying it's time. Well, guess what? It's, it's time. And the title of our series that we're going to be going over the next couple of weeks is Echoes from Exodus. Echoes from Exodus. I always remember as a kid, uh, and I can't remember, I was trying to think, like rack my brain to remember, and I think it was Easter, but I may be wrong, so don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Easter, where every Easter evening, every Sunday Easter evening, we would usually be with my grandparents out on the farm, and we would turn the TV on, and guess what we would watch? We would watch the Ten Commandments. Was that right? Was that Easter? Was that what it was? I used to admit, that was so cool. Was it Charlton Heston? Was that who that was? Uh, yeah, everybody's shaking their head at me. Okay, okay, yeah. And, and he would sit there and let my people go. And he had the big beard and all this stuff. And I remember, I, mean, I used to love Exodus. I still do. Exodus is one of those great books that a lot of us know. I love the stories. I love the, 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 the imagery that we have. I remember, you know, a, a lot of people obviously know about some of the stories in Exodus. But over the next several weeks, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into Exodus. We're not going to go through chapter by chapter. It may seem like that at times. But we're going to kind of move through the book. And I really feel like there's some, some things that are very prev, uh, very relevant. Relevant very relevant for our world today. And so we're going to dive in a little bit deeper. But here's the thing when you think about Exodus. Exodus is obviously the second book of the Bible. Genesis is really the beginning. In Genesis we see the beginning of creation. We see the beginning of man. We see the beginning of the animals and all the things that kind of we see. But we also see the beginning of sin. We see the beginning of death. We see the beginning of family. We see the beginning of a nation being formed and all these things. When you kind of get to Exodus, things begin to change slightly. In Exodus, you begin to see some things that are a little bit different than when you were in Genesis. This is in your notes because I really want you to see this. We're going to kind of be highlighting this as we go through the book. But here it is. Exodus begins to detail God's ultimate plan of redemption to reconcile us back to him. Okay? Listen, we, we sometimes make this mistake. We think that, that God's plan begins to really be formed way, you know, like in the New Testament or in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. God begins as really, truly back in Genesis. But in Exodus, we begin to see these details begin to take place. We begin to see pictures of Jesus and pictures of, of this concept of, of people in bondage being brought into freedom. Exodus is an amazing book. And I'm really excited to be able to share this with you. But this morning, we're going to be in Exodus 1. We're going to start with verse number 6. We're going to look at about 10 verses. And, and this is really going to lay the groundwork for where we're going to be this morning. So let's go ahead. If you throw that up on the screen, and if you have your Bible or your, your phone, whatever you use, let's look at this together. It says, Exodus 1, starting with verse number 6. It says, in time... Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look... The people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, 
They'll join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shiphrah and Puda, Will you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the, boy is a, if the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Father, we come to you right now, and God, I need your help. Father, I can't do this without you, don't want to do this without you. Without you, it's just words. But God, with you, with your anointing, that changes hearts and lives, and that's why we're here to allow you to do in us what only you can do. Not what man can do with eloquence of speech, or, or it's what you can do, and that's what we need, and that's what we desire. So, Father, I ask you to help. I ask you to anoint. And I ask you to open the hearts of those that are here. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. In this story, we see some things really begin to take place that really lay the groundwork for a lot of what takes place in Egypt. You see, we're going to catch this in just a minute, but the Hebrews, the Israelites, are under a lot of issues. They're under a lot of problems. They're being tortured. They're being worked to death. It's ruthless. It's hard. People are dying. And then to take it one step further, the, the king, the Pharaoh, basically goes to these midwives and says, Listen, I want you to commit murder. This is not a good situation. This is hard. This is difficult. This is one of those times in life where we begin to, to question things. We begin to ask things. We begin to look at our lives and look at the things around us and go, God, what are you doing? God, what is happening? God, why? It's one of those times where we ask those questions. You see, in this story and I mean the entire book of Exodus, there are a lot of questions that can be answered. There's a lot of questions that you have and that I have. And this morning we're going to focus on one of them that I guarantee, without question, the Israelites were dealing with. It's simply this. It's in your notes. God, do you see me? God, do you see me? How many times when things get hard, how many times when there's suffering or things that take place, there's a, there's a report from the doctor that isn't pleasant. We go to our bank statement and go, how are we going to take care of these issues? Our children may not do the things that we wish they would, or we don't do the things that we wish they would. We deal with things at work. We deal with things at home. And when these hard times come, when these suffering times come, we begin to question, we begin to ask these things. We say, God, do you even see me? Do you even know where I am? Do you even understand the suffering and the pain? We sometimes gloss over this because, again, we're going to talk about this a lot probably during this series. We are used to the Ten Commandments. We're used to Charlton Heston walking around. We're used to kind of those, I'm sorry to kind of say it, kind of bad acting 1950s, 60s kind of graphics. You know what I mean? 
We know the guy's not being whipped. We know the guy's fine. And we kind of desensitize it slightly. And I think we do it also because we know how the story ends. But these people didn't. These people were going through it. These people were in issues and troubles that they have never seen before. And I guarantee you they were sitting there going, no, wait a minute. We're God's people. We have God's promise. Why are we here? What is going on? These are questions that most of us have always had. But before we really get into it, we need to kind of figure out how we got here. We need a little context. How did they even get to Egypt? You see, there was a guy named Joseph, and he was one of Jacob's sons. And I'm going to go through this quick, but basically because of a present, because of jealousy, because even Joseph did some things that weren't quite so bright, he begins to be hated by his brothers. He begins to have dreams, and in these dreams, God begins to share some amazing things with him. And Joseph, without using his brain a little bit, kind of begins to share this with his older brothers. And his older brothers go, how dare you? And there begins jealousy and bitterness and anger. And so basically, this begins to boil over. To make a long story short, they throw him into a pit with an intent to kill him. Just at that time, in the nick of time in some ways, basically these traders go, come by, they're headed to Egypt. The brothers say, hey, listen, why kill him? Let's get some money for him. So they sell him into slavery into Egypt. He goes to a man's named Potiphar's house, but God is with him and God blesses him. Again, to make a long story short, he's accused of something he didn't do. He's thrown in jail. In there, God is still with him and God blesses him. There's some men there that have dreams and Joseph, with God's help, interprets those dreams. He tells the men, hey, listen, when you go back to serve Pharaoh, because they worked kind of for the Pharaoh, tell the Pharaoh I'm here. Tell the Pharaoh I can help. Years pass. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream. And in this dream, he can't, they can't figure out what it is. And finally, one of these guys says, hey, I remember this guy in jail who interpreted dreams. They bring him out. Joseph interprets the dream. He says in seven years there's going to be plenty. In seven other years there's going to be famine. If you want to survive you're going to have to make sure that you save during the seven years. Pharaoh and his officials say, man, is there anybody here that knows God like this guy does? And in one afternoon, he goes from the prison to the palace and becomes the second-hand man to Pharaoh himself. And just like he says, just like God told him, this seven years of plenty happened, he saves, he supplies all these things, and during the seven years, people begin to starve, and then they open up these, these barns, and, and they just begin to feed these people. Well, guess what? Joseph's brothers and his mom and dad, who think he's dead, by the way, are now starving to death. So his father says, go down to Egypt so we can buy some food. And guess who they walk into? Guess who they go ask? Joseph. And in a moment where we see how much God has transformed the heart of Joseph, he doesn't take revenge, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't kill them, he welcomes them home into his heart again. And they have this amazing reunion. He brings, and in this time, Joseph says, listen, bring the family. And they settle in Egypt. That's how they got here. That's how in this time, as we read Exodus 1, 6 through 16, we begin to see what begins to happen. But you know what? In our story, in our verse that we read, the Pharaoh had forgotten what he had done, what those people had done. And instead, now he's looking and he's going, man, these people are powerful. These people are strong. And he begins to oppress. He begins to make them suffer. He begins to bring just a harsh life to them. And it begins to bring out questions. 
in their hearts and in their lives. This is in your notes. I need you to get this. The book of Exodus is not only a great book of stories and of miracles of God. It is a book that brings to light some of the most difficult questions that we can ask in life. It's relevant to us. And one of those questions is, God, do you see me? God, do you care? God, why is there suffering? God, I haven't done anything wrong. God, I'm your promised people. I didn't do anything. But God, why is a good person like me having to suffer? Sometimes it's easier when we suffer and we know that quite honestly, you know, we, we made some bad choices. But sometimes it's harder when we're just kind of in those moments of hurt. And we begin to question those things. We begin to ask those things. But to really understand this concept, we need to ask a simple question. And this is a question, again, that I've asked, and I think that probably most of us have asked, who is really to blame for all this suffering? Who's really to blame? When you look at our world and you go to the hospital and you see people in the cancer area, or heaven forbid, you go to the NICU unit, And you go, God, why? Some of the hardest days of my ministry have been times where I've gone to the NICU unit and had parents sitting there and their little child who's just a couple of days old who was born month early who literally can fit from your fingertips somewhere here and they're in an incubator and they're sitting there and they're crying and they're saying, I don't understand, God, why? Why? Why couldn't I have had a healthy baby? Why couldn't I have had a baby at all? Why did we have to get that report? Why did there have to be cancer in my body? Why can't I get ahead of my finances? Whatever it may be, why are my relationships, everyone, just falling apart? Who's to blame? Well, here's the bottom line. Let's just be honest. A lot of times and a lot of people, we blame God. We say, God, how could you? God, why didn't you? God, if you are so powerful and you are so loving, then why is there hurt? Why is there hurt in this world? Why is there suffering in me? Why is there suffering in those that I love? We've seen it over and over and over again how hard it is for people to understand that question. And for a lot of people, it has been the wedge that's driven them away from God. So is it really God's fault? Do we have a right to say, God, it's your fault. God, you're not doing what you should be doing. You are the one to blame. Thankfully, we have that answer in Scripture. In Romans 5, in Romans 5, verse 12, this is what it said. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sin. This may not be easy to swallow. This may be hard at times to get, but it's simply this. It is man, not God, that is responsible for sin, and sin leads to suffering, and eventually suffering will lead to death. This is not God's plan for you and me. But because of our rebellion, because we decided we knew better, because we decided we could handle it, there became all this mess. 
And it's hard. It's difficult. We're dealing with this. And, and I know that in this, in this concept, even, even now there's been times where I've asked this simple question. Okay, okay, God, well, that's fine. I get it. Okay, we're at fault. We're the one that ran away. I get that. But God, well, I got a question for you. God, why didn't you just make us in a way that we could not sin? You ever ask that question? God, you made us. Why didn't you just make us so we couldn't mess up? Why didn't you just make us so we would always do what you said? And it's really simple, but it's sometimes hard to understand and harder to accept. And that is called free will. God gave you and me the choice over and over again in Scripture. We see this where God says, listen, I'm leaving this up to you. You can choose blessing or you can choose cursing. You can choose life or you can choose death. We get to choose. We get to decide, are we going to love God or are we not? It's amazing to me that, that God didn't want us to be robots. God didn't want us to walk around and just love him because in a lot of ways we were programmed that way. He said, I want to be loved because you chose to love me. We don't always see that in our world today. It's sometimes hard to understand that type of love. But I think... I found something that will help us to understand it. I want to show you a quick video clip. It's a little over a minute. In just a second, but I'm kind of going to tell you a little bit about it. This is a man named Robertson McQuickens. I don't know if I, I probably butchered his last name, okay? He was a president of a Christian university. And at just, just really what he would say his dream job. You know, basically what he had worked for his whole life. And his wife came down with Alzheimer's disease. And so he had the decision to make. Do I continue doing what my dream is? Or do I choose to love in a very selfless way? This clip that I want to show you is a very short part of his resignation speech that he gave to his college. Let's go ahead and roll that clip. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about.
She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Kid, I remember the first time I saw the commercial for a Teddy Ruxpin. Remember those? Little stuffed bear. Late 80s, probably, maybe mid 80s. And there was like a tape recorder in its back. And you got a cassette tape. You put it in and you hit play, and Teddy Ruxpin came to life. His eyes opened, his mouth opened. It was kind of, you know, like watching some of those. Japanese anime, you know, like Superbook, you know, it didn't really go with the words, it just kind of opened and shut. But I mean, it was amazing. And I remember seeing that commercial, go, wow, look at that thing. It's, it's, it's amazing, it can talk, its eyes open and close. And it would say something to this effect, I don't remember exactly, I never had one, but it would say, oh, you're my friend. I like you. You, oh, I love you. I'm Teddy Ruxpin. And you know what? Here's the thing. God didn't want you to be Teddy Ruxpin in his relationship with you. Because Teddy Ruxpin, if you had one, I'm sorry if this ruins your life. I really am. But if you had a Teddy Ruxpin, Teddy Ruxpin didn't love you. Teddy Ruxpin wasn't really your friend. Teddy Ruxpin didn't like you. How do I know that? Because Teddy Ruxpin was programmed to say those things. God didn't want that for you and me. He could have made us that way, but he said no. He said no. But here's the thing we have to understand. It's in your notes. we got to understand this. Because we're not Teddy Ruxpin, free will comes with great risk. The risk is the fact that we can now make decisions that will harm ourselves and harm others. You see, God doesn't make bad decisions, but people sure do. And in this moment, in our story, Pharaoh forgot what the people of Israel had done, literally for him and his nation. He forgot. He got scared. He said, oh, they're too great. They're too many. He did those things. Now listen to me and hear me here. God uses the things that people do. But it is not a situation where God said, how can I destroy my kids today? How can I bring them to a place of destruction and suffering? Because that's literally what was going on. I do believe that God will allow things to come that are hard. But they come because we have sinned. Because we have messed up. Because people around us have made poor decisions and poor choices. So how do we respond to all of this? You see, here's the thing. As we kind of bring this to a close... When tragedy strikes, when hard times strike, when suffering happens, most people will do one of two things. It's pretty much, I've seen it over and over and over again. And this isn't real deep, this isn't really hard, but I think you know that in our life or in your life and in mine, we tend to do the same thing. We will either run from God or we'll run to him. That's it. In those moments, you'll either run from God or run to him. You'll either decide, you know what? I am going to just say, God, I'm done with you. I'm fed up with you. I'm, 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 I don't want to deal with you anymore. Or we'll do this. And it kind of goes along with this idea of, of running from God. We'll reinvent God to fit our understanding of the situation. 
I don't know how many times I've heard people say things like this. My God, the God that basically what they're saying is my God, the God I created would never do that. The loving God that I worship would never allow that. Can I help us with something? Okay, Let's, let, I really want you to get this. When you begin to mold God in your image, listen here, you might as well go out, get you some gold, melt it down, and make a cow. Because it's exactly what you've just done. You've created an image of a God, but not our God. Okay? You need to understand that. And it's hard, and I understand that. But in those moments where you're saying, God, have you forgotten? God, why is there hurt? God, why am I going through this? You really do have two choices. You can either run from him or run to him. Look what Jesus said about this in Luke 13. It's a great little story. It says, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Now, let's stop here for a second. What are these people doing? They're offering sacrifices. Okay? They're not, they're not running around, running amok. They're not rebelling. They're not, they haven't killed anybody. They're offering sacrifices. They're kind of, in some ways, doing what they ought to be doing. These are the good people. And someone chose something here because of sin. They're murdered. They're murdered. Now look what Jesus says. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Isn't that an interesting question? What's Jesus asking here? He's basically saying this. Why did, these, why did a bad thing have to happen to these good people? What, 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 what's going on here? Why is there suffering? Why, why, they, they were doing what they were supposed to. But listen to what Jesus says. Is, it that, is that why they suffered? Isn't that amazing that Jesus knew the questions that we would have thousands of years later? Why did they suffer? Why is there suffering? And look what Jesus says, not at all. And Jesus, in a moment, in his brilliance, flips it. And he says this. He says, and you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to what has Jesus just done? Man, I love my Jesus. But listen, listen, what he just did here. He says, he's taken that age-old question of suffering and hurt. And, and, and these were good people. Why do bad things happen to good people? And he says, listen, that's not the issue. Those things are going to happen. It wasn't that they were bad or worse. It wasn't that they were good or bad. He basically said, this is just what happens. Why? Because of choices that someone else made. Because of the sin in the world. So Jesus says, you need to stop always worrying about why and focus on what you need to do about it. And what you need to do about it is repent and turn to him. Because here's what's great about that. When we repent and turn to him and he begins to change us, we're not perfect in that moment, but in that transformational process that God is doing, in that restoration process that God is doing in us, guess what we tend to do, hopefully? We tend to start making less bad decisions. We start loving more. We start doing the things that God would want us to do. And guess what happens in those moments? Suffering can a little bit go down because we're not hurting ourselves anymore. We're not perfect. We still do at times. But Jesus says, you've got a question here. You can question or you can turn. 
And I'm not saying, and I don't believe that Jesus is saying it's not okay to question. He's understanding that we question. He's just saying we have a choice. We can either run from him or run to him. Look at in 2 Corinthians 1.8. Paul is dealing with this as well. Paul, the amazing apostle that wrote most of the New Testament. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians 1.8. We, excuse me, we thought you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Listen to what he says. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. He went through a hard moment. He went through a hard time. He was suffering. But look as he continues in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises from the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. This is important. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Paul and his companions were going through what they almost, they thought was actually going to kill them. But they turned to God. I love that concept. But he says, as a result... We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. You see, it's hard at times to do. It's hard because we sit there and say, God, do you see me? God, do you know my hurt? God, do you know my pain? God, do you know these things that are bubbling up all around me? God, do you see? But here we have some promises that when we turn to God, some things will happen. Look at James 4, 8a. It says this, come close to God, and God will come close to you. We have that promise. Where if we say, you know what, God, I'm, I know it's hard. I'm suffering here. I'm going through literally hell on earth. And I turn to him. And when I do, God says he will come close to you. He will put his arms around you. And hold you tight in those moments. He does see you. He does know. In Exodus, we're going to go back. Remember, this whole thing started with the, the, the persecution and the suffering and the murder that was taking place amongst God's people. And look in Exodus 3. This is the context is God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Listen to what God says. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. In Egypt, I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Can I stop for just a moment? For everybody that's here, everybody that's online, whether you're listening today or tomorrow, you need to understand something. No matter how hard it is, no matter what you're going through, God knows he hasn't forgotten you. He, hasn't, he, he hears your cries. He sees your hurt. He has not forgotten where you're at and has not forgotten your suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. God says, I see. God says, I see you. God says, I know your hurt. I know your pain. 
And look, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's hard to wait. But God knows. He knows every hurt, every suffering, every pain. Look at Psalms 56, 8. I love this verse. You, speaking speaking about God, you keep track of all my sorrows. Not some of them, all of them. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Those tears that you've shed, that broken heart that you've experienced because maybe a marriage didn't work, maybe there was deception, deceit, maybe someone you trusted betrayed you, Whatever it is, those tears, you've got to understand, God's collected them all. You can't collect what you don't see. God sees them all. He stored them all. He has them all. He hasn't forgotten you. He didn't forget his people. And he hasn't forgotten us. The worship team wants to come on up. We're going to close. You see, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's really hard to go through some of these things. And again, we, we know how the book of Exodus goes, you know. We, we, we saw the Ten Commandments. We saw Charlton Heston raise his staff. And we know they end up in the promised land. We know all these things. But you know what? They didn't in that time. They were left with those questions. They were left with that fear. They were left with that anxiety that God had forgotten them, that God couldn't see. And they had, as we're going to look at later on in the series, God came through. In the verse that we looked at, God said, I will rescue them. I've heard these things. But you know what? Here's the thing. Sometimes God will do that in our lives. And hear me here, because I I just got to be honest with you. And sometimes God won't. Sometimes God will heal miraculously or through doctors, and sometimes God will heal supernaturally because you went home to be with him. I don't always know why God does what he does. And so I can't promise you, well, listen, if you pray long enough or if you do this long enough or if you you do the hokey pokey just the right way and sit yourself down that that just means God's going to do it. God, God doesn't work that way. God is God and we're not. God has a plan and it's bigger than our plans. And, and, and it's better than our plans too, by the way. So I can't promise you and I will never promise you something that's not scriptural. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe you will have to go through bankruptcy. I don't know. Maybe the marriage will fall apart. I don't know. Maybe your child will or won't come back to God. That's their choice. They get free will. I don't know. And it's hard. But I will promise you this. God hasn't forgotten you. God knows every tear, every hurt, every suffering. But he has one last promise for us. It's in the last book of the Bible. Meaning it hasn't happened yet. But it will. It's found in Revelation 21.4. It says, He will wipe 
every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. One day, God will wipe it all away. You see, here's the thing. There is suffering, there is pain, there is disease, there's all these things because there is sin, because of what we have done. But the scriptures tell us that one day, he'll wipe it clean. And there'll be no more crying, and there'll be no more pain, and there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more disease. It'll be wiped away, but hear me here. That day hasn't come yet, but it's coming. And there are times in our lives where we're hurting so much and we're suffering so bad that all we can do is grab onto that promise and say, God, one day these tears are going to be wiped away. One day, there will be no more bad trips to the doctor. There won't be any more doctors. We won't need any more doctors. Because you've wiped it away. And these things aren't gone for a little while. They're gone forever. Those Israelites sat there literally for hundreds of years in suffering, wondering, God, where are you? Do you see me? And God answered very clearly, I see you. I see you. I, I hear you. I know. And in the right time, and in the right moment, God worked miracles. And God desires to do that for all of us still today. Whether it's a miracle here on this earth or it's the ultimate miracle of everlasting life with him, our day will come. The suffering will cease. The crying will stop. The pain will be gone because he loves us so much that he sent his only son to offer himself for you and for me. Let's close our eyes. Let's, let's close. Listen, we're going to make this quick. If you are suffering right now, if you are going through a hard time right now, hear me, God has not forgotten you. God will never forget you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He's working these things out. He's, he's in the process of bringing forth all of these things in all of these areas. Never feel like you're forgotten. Run to God, not from Him. And let Him hold you in those moments where it seems like you're all alone. You're never alone. Jesus promised He's with us from now to the end of the age. He hears it all and he knows it all. Turn to him this morning and let him do in your heart what only he can do. You're so good, God. Turn to him right now. Just begin in your own words, in your own heart. Just be, Father, I turn to you. 
Father, even if I'm in a good moment, I turn to you. I look to you. I won't rely on myself or, or anything. I will rely on you and let you do in me what only you can do. I open my heart to you. I open my heart. I don't run from you. I run to you. It doesn't matter if that hard thing happened 20 years ago or it's happening right now or happens 20 minutes from now. God, whatever it is, we run to you because we know you are the only one that can do in our hearts what we need. You are the only one who can wipe away those tears, that pain and that hurt. You are the one. So no matter where we are, Father, right now as a family and as individuals, we turn to you, we look to you, and we trust in you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. And I'll stand with arms high and heart up in Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. So good. God, you're so good. Even in the hard times, even in the moments of suffering and hurt, You're still good. 
and we look to you. We run after you. And we know that you'll come close to us. We know that you've got us. We love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, thank you so much for being here this morning. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope to see you soon. For those that are here, if you don't have lunch plans, man, we'd love to have lunch with you at Jason's Deli. If you need any questions, if you have any questions or need directions or whatever, please let me know. If you got plans or other things, that's cool. But listen, we'd love to have you if you're available. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Love you.